I feel like music is your side bitch. Yeah, I mean, I would never use that particular term, but... I would never either. Welcome to Discography, the podcast that gives Gen X music maniacs a chance to smell like teen spirit again by connecting with a brotherhood obsessed with rating the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever mattered. I'm your host, Dave Gebro, and with three new episodes each week, you're going to gain a comprehensive knowledge of an act's history and output in the time it takes to listen to one album. In this episode, we'll be turning our spray cans on Bob Nastanovich. Welcome then to part two of Stray Slack Double Fantasy, as Gen X slides into middle age and he and I both come tumbling after. In this episode, Bob talks with Discography about the music he's listening to now and what music means to Bob as a middle-aged motherfucker, Bob's experience for a while as a sort of quasi-stepdad, to a woman who wound up being a force to be reckoned with in the indie rock community, and finally, Bob's three favorite pavement songs. Coming up, we've got Dennis Ryan from Deer Tick rating Bombino, Corey Hansen from Wand rating everything he's ever done, an interview with Testament's lead guitar shredder Alex Skolnick, Mike Watt rating the entirety of the Minutemen's output, Mark Robinson from Unrest rating everything he's ever done, Robert Schneider from the Apples in Stereo rating everything he's ever done, and Will Hart from the Olivia Tremor Control rating everything they ever did. So don't miss out. Open up your listening app right now and subscribe. And for premium membership benefits that'll make you ask yourself, how's it even humanly conceivable that this is all the work of one man and one man alone, just visit patreon.com slash discograffiti. We've got 100 episodes available exclusively on Patreon, and that number, as well as the discograffiti inner circle, is growing exponentially by the day. That's patreon.com slash discograffiti. And away we go then with Bob Nastanovich. So do you listen to music when you get off stage? What is music? Does it mean the same thing to you as it did back in the day or no? It's different now. Do you like silence a lot more? I mean, no, but basically, really, I do watch a lot of mostly British and fair amount of Irish and some French racing in the mornings. And then basically in the evenings, I watch, you know, depending on the time of year, basketball or baseball. When I travel, um, when I drive, I listen to music quite a bit. Is it the music that you used to listen to, or does that play no role or have any bearing? I've been separated for the last year plus from my record collection, which I now have here. I just, I just need like a very, very extensive reorganization of everything that I own. You know, when I was doing my own music podcast with my friend, Mike Hogan, I was listening to a lot of music because just the premise of that podcast, Three Songs Pod, was that we had to present and talk about three different bands every week. And then, you know, there's these huge voids, like after Pavement stopped at the end of 99, I didn't really listen to music that much at all for five years because I was just sort of burned out. It's, it's kind of like what I'd done for the 15, 20 years that preceded late 99. I was just kind of like wanted to turn my attention somewhere else. And um, but yeah, I find myself listening to music sort of in binges these days. Does the 
choice of music that you gravitate towards that's a surprise the adult version of you is it more refined mm -hmm. or sophisticated than you know you i'm always looking for things that are pretty out there i think that probably the biggest surprise if i compare myself now to like the 21 year old me that was like so actively involved in record collecting and doing college radio and you know kind of thinking that music was like some strange part of what made me feel kind of good about myself and i was constantly road tripping to shows and stuff i, I would think that like the mid 50s version of myself would be somewhat surprised in how I still feel like I'm very adventurous and I still I like to listen to a lot of very strange ethnic you know most a lot of African music a lot of Middle Eastern music and a lot of Asian music I gotta ask you because it's not an area that I'm incredibly familiar with but recently the drummer of Deer Tick wants to be on the show and he gave me a list of potentials and one of them was Bambino do you know Bambino? Oh, okay yeah and i started yeah. listening to it and i cannot get enough i mean there's so many it's endless i think really the one that sort of has blown my mind in the last five years the most is this band from indonesia called senyawa s-e-n-y-a-w-a in fact, I did an interview with it. I never would have even thought that anybody ever had heard of Pavement in Indonesia. And I talked about my adoration of Senyawa. But there's, I mean, there's, you know, whether it be Lost Tapes from Africa or, I don't know if you've listened to Atakak. Have you listened to Atakak, the guy from Ghana? No. A-T-A, first name, second name, K-A-K. I DJed a show that he did in Nashville last spring guy's amazing his story's amazing you can watch that so yeah i mean i i think it's all for me it's just all just the same excitement as when i was a kid and it's like you know sort of wanting to be that person who says what i just said to you have you ever heard of this like and not not like any one-upmanship but like hearing stuff i get attached to and like sort of love and feel like the drama and sort of the strangeness of it eyebold's really good eyebold's an incredible tipster that's that's what the community is all about because there's people out there who have way more time these days to look for new music than I do. You know, well, in I, his case, you know, he works amongst his many jobs in New York City. He works at Union Pool. And, I mean, I think if you lived in his neighborhood, that'd be one of your hangouts. I mean, there's great live music there, and then I'm, you know, the music that the you know various bartenders member of their members of their staff play. You know, he's he's a fantastic. DJ on Mark Ivel because like you know he's kind of I always just think of him as one of those people that has, has his finger on the pulse so you know you kind of rely on those people I mean Tracy Keats Wilson who has a wonderful um, publication called the Turntable Report she's another one that are kind of just kind of like listening to music in that sort of old school way like it's their main hobby like my main hobby as foolish as it may sound is watching and learning about horse racing particularly of the European variety because you know at this point I have four pregnant broodmares and I, I don't have resources. So I'm trying to basically breed good racehorses and make sure that they're very well taken care of. And if, if you know, racing isn't suitable for them, then, you know, finding them something else to do, those are sort of my children. So I'm, I'm sort of responsible for them. So they're, you know, they're a high priority. And the music is just like, I'm always kind of reserved. It always holds the space as something that I enjoy and can sort of choose to turn to whenever I need it, you know? I feel like music is your side bitch. Yeah, I mean... I would never use that particular term, but... I would never either. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, on that note, actually, if I could maybe press pause for a second, I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. You can, can read I that press? in the podcast. I'll be back in, like, 90 seconds. No problem. <clears throat> Thank you for your patience.
No problem. Does your penis have noise cancellation on it? Because I couldn't hear a thing. Oh, no, I walked about 60 feet to the other side of the house. Are you in Paris right now in Tennessee? I'm in Paris, Tennessee. And I did a interview recently with the Paris Post-Intelligencer about being a indie rock personality in Paris, Tennessee. What percentage uh, of the questions that get lobbed at you from interviewers are the same old things over and over? Oh, not in this case. This was like, why are you in Paris? I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, um, I would imagine that would be Paris-centric, but in general... Is there anything you like about Paris? <laughs> right, I mean, right. yeah, I mean, like, basically the headline was, I think, one of the best headlines that I've ever been a part of. The headliner was, Indie Rocker Enjoys Local Barbecue, comma, Catfish. <laughs> I love that they felt the need to extend <laughs> it with the catfish. So anybody reading the... Um, reading the article would have been like, hey, what is an indie rocker? Because nobody reads the PPI. I would say like less than 5% knows what an indie rocker is. So they're like, who's this guy? So then my friend was in a liquor store a few days later and he walked in and they were playing pavement really loudly in the liquor store and my friend was like, whoa, like who's playing this? Like this is my friend's band. And the guy said, I just read the article in the, in the Paris Post. Inte I like the way it's called the Post Intelligence or like we were formerly intelligent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, but yeah, I guess, I mean, whatever, at least the PPI has made pavement one new fan because this guy apparently digs pavement. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, I'm into it. Although I don't really get into town much. I live a few miles outside of town. Last year I lived in town. You know, what's interesting as far as the indie rock aspect goes is, you know, my, my music taste is you would think based on my you know, not just knowledge, but passion for you guys. So broad, I, your music taste. It's, it's so all broad. it's all over the map. So you're a historian too, you're a music historian. But you know, the thing is, you know, in order to have like a far-reaching thing that actually winds up being a monetizable and wise career choice, it's funny because when I sliced everything down into four different kinds of show categories: classic rock, obscure psych, private press, and Gen X, there was no competition. Anything to do with Gen X, it was like an avalanche of people, and then everything else paled in comparison. Huh. At some point, I'll sort of miss the action, but, you know, when pavement's been as busy as we've been for the last year plus at this point, then, um, you know, I've been overstimulated. So, you know, again, like, you know, weeks like this week when I'm just sort of organizing myself for the next, you know, set of fun times, you know, I sort of revere these weeks of just kind of chilling out. I like to go to Walmart here in Paris. You've been taking care of yourself other than obviously the spill. You've been taking your health's been all right. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Honestly, I've been, I've been, you know, not in a creepy way. I've been thinking about you because I know that this is your first time well, in thanks. a while going out um, on the road. And, you know, it's not easy to get through a day just sitting there with what we do, let alone... It's easier you know. than a lot of things. I mean, my life in the overall scheme of things is pretty easy and I, I make it look hard. You also underplay being a type 1 diabetic. Yeah, I mean, that's something that you just sort of are used to i don't really you know it's hard to imagine what it's like to be on the other side i mean i do sort of envy those that get to wildly overindulge in ice cream treats um, no shit but uh yeah no i mean say la vie i mean that's just the way it is i mean i think in the overall scheme of things it's just like diabetes most people can't really look at you and be like that person must suffer from diabetes i mean so you just sort of well the type one um deal with it you know you deal do you have your national park card in my life i have had national park 
cards, yes. Okay. A lot of type 1s don't know that you Why can. Why do you ask? Because it's literally the only oh, okay. perk of being a type 1 diabetic is we can get into any national park free of charge for the rest of our lives. Oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for the tip. You're welcome. I have, uh, I'm going to crack open. You're good. The, You're good at the tips. You know a lot of stuff I don't know. <laughs> you like, know a lot of stuff. How long each know. side of metal machine music. <laughs> I mean, yeah, stuff you really wouldn't be that interested in. That's what you know, obse- obsession will drive you mad. Hi, I'm Dave Gebro. I threw my career as a licensed hearing instrument specialist in the trash, sold my house, and moved to the East Coast with my wife and four-year-old son in order to focus on making the ultimate podcast for music obsessives thrive. Now I need your help. Although Discography is rated in the top 2% of all podcasts globally, the economics of this thing are tricky. My monthly income at the moment totals a whopping 760 bucks. Becoming a member of Discography's Patreon gives you access to over 100 more episodes, and moving forward, you'll get up to three shows a week. There's the main show every Friday, Wednesday's brand new series, The Top 10, and Monday's wildcard episode, which could be anything from interview bonus material, our buried treasure show, Rock Cousteau, our slag off show, Queasy Listening, and exclusive limited series like The Private Press with Paul Major. And if you've got no financial worries to speak of, Keep in mind that some of the higher Patreon tiers allow you to actually advertise on the show, choose the bands we cover, or even some of the guests we get. For the price of a cup of coffee a week, you can ensure my family's fed, build a music library that'll be the envy of your block, and connect to a thriving community of music maniacs all at the same time. Don't risk feeling badly about yourself by not giving. Patreon.com slash Discograffiti. Once again, that's patreon.com slash discography. And now back to our expertly crafted program. The thing is, I wanted to legitimize knowing this stuff. Otherwise, it's going to sit there and collect dust until I pass away. So I got to. I just worry sometimes that your mind, just like you, you know, if you say you invest in a, a phone and you get the 128 GBs and stuff, and then, you know, eventually you fill all that memory and or 64 <laughs> or whatever. And then you have to get a new one, I guess, or like clean stuff out of your phone and that kind of thing. And I, I, I keep having these nightmares that my memory is full and if i take in any new information that i'm gonna have to that i'm just gonna automatically delete things that have happened i love that paul mccartney album title memory almost full i always thought that was terribly cute yeah no i mean that's a good title i mean i've had a very um a very very interesting and enjoyable life it's been quite strange and um i just worry about certain monumental things that I forget certain vital details. So, I mean, it is, it is one of the troubling things about aging. Some people just don't care about the things that they forget, and then some people really do. And it's sort of the anxiety of forgetting certain things. Um, and then, you know, in my case, I've been so fortunate that so much has happened, whether it be in just normal daily life or bus driving or fishing or, you know, being in a band or tour managing or, you know, there's so much horse racing information. It's amazing to me people how powerful their minds are in their recall. Like people that are really into music and I mean, just two of the things that I'm very enthusiastic about music and horse racing. Some people just have the most amazing recall and some people don't. I think that I'm 
you know, pretty average in that regard. Is there an anxiety that you're not retaining stuff, you know, how that relates to aging? Yeah, I think so. I know that when we recorded, you were with your mom at one point. I don't know if you were just over there for a visit. Oh, no, I was visiting her, yeah. I just okay. got back from visiting her not too long ago. She lives in Richmond. Okay. She's cool. She's super fun to visit. Hell, I'll stop by then. Yeah, no, well, she's an independent living. It's a little weird to visit her. You have to sign in and stuff. But yeah, no, you get your own bedroom. And she's, you know, extraordinarily pleasant and fascinating person whose mind works extremely well. She's very sharp. How old um, is your mom? She's going to be 87 this year. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. God bless, um, man. She's amazing. In fact, it's really unfair to her. She has um, rheumatoid arthritis, which affects her movement, which is sort of really unfair to her because you know, my father, he died in 2011. And my mother, unlike my father, has always taken very good care of herself. And it, it is truly unfair that she's beset with, you know, something that sort of breaks her down physically. I have people I'm close with who suffer from that. And it's no joke. It's bad. Yeah. No, it's tough for her. Because, you know, she doesn't have a whole lot of get up and go, but she does like to take responsibility. She, she would like to do her grocery shopping and, you know, get around and that kind of stuff. That's kind of difficult for her, but she's fantastic. I mean, she's so much fun and she's really good at cards and um, she's just really a very smart person. She, my best friend, really, you know. That's beautiful that your relationship is... I'm just very lucky. So, I'm very, very, very lucky in the parental department. I am too, for sure. I mean, Yeah, but if you, you know, enjoy living near your parents, um, like you're doing now... Well, you know, it's a lot for both sides to get used to, you know, and also there's that element of intense fear over being the age we are and having made a decision like that. You know, none of my other friends are making those kinds of decisions. <laughs> No, so, yeah, I'm sure your friends are a lot more cautious and conservative with their game plan. Night and day, you know. And, well, I mean, and, it's the kind of thing that I could get away with what you're doing because I don't really have that many financial responsibilities. I want my son, you know, before Mason was born, none of this crazy shit was happening. There was no medical stuff, really, except the diabetes. That's it. Then, yeah. uh, you know, everything spun crazily out of control. But the thing that I kind of settled on was... I want him to see his parents making bold life decisions. Well, you certainly are. Yeah, that outweighs the rest. You can't treat this too preciously because you could be yanked so quickly. My father would have said the same to me. Like, he did everything very much by the book. You know, he was raised sort of poor or working class in Metuchen, New Jersey, for mm -hmm. the boy area. Yeah, he was, he was in the Carter White House uh, amongst his many jobs, but he was always determined to make as much money as he could to comfortably provide for his wife and two children. And I think, you know, because of that, he had to work extremely hard until he was able to retire, you know, early enough at 59. And then he thoroughly enjoyed being a grandfather. My sister has three boys. Yeah, he described to me later in his life that he sort of, not that he resented us as children, but he, he felt like he had to work so hard. He, he basically said he never really enjoyed, he never really had the time to enjoy his children. That's a Yeah, because he had to work so hard. You know, yeah. it, was, it was one of those jobs too where, yeah, he was gone about, depending on the year, like a third to a quarter of the time. You know, I remember I was one of those kids that would really do my studying in the morning. Like I'd get up at like five o'clock in the morning to study because I found that it was a lot more effective to remember stuff and then, you know, going right into school as opposed to doing it the night before. And I would find that I'd effectively retain information better if I, I studied then took a shower and then went to school. You know, a lot of that was like, you know, seeing my father pull out of the driveway at like 5.45 in the morning and he didn't, you know, he didn't get home till six. So I, mean, I guess he felt like that, that he needed to do that to sort of, you know, provide for his family. And then 
course, I've never really had to do that because you know I'm, I didn't have a family. You know, I, I didn't have children when I was in my 20s and 30s like a lot of people do. And you Did know, you ever want kids or no? I mean, I was sort of indifferent. For one, I, I've never gotten anybody pregnant, so I've never really had to um, seriously worry about it. Forget worry about it. I'm talking about like a yearning plaintiveness for it. No, no, no. I've always been pretty indifferent. I've always felt like if I was in love with somebody and they got pregnant and wanted to have the child, that I would make the necessary adjustments and that I would do everything I could to be an excellent father. You would be a great dad, man, because I mean, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Yeah, a lot but... of people have told me that before, but there was about two years in which I was with a woman who was a single mother of a girl who actually um, went on to become a very famous rock star. The band is called Cherry Glazer. Her name's Clementine Creevy. Oh, yeah. So when that child was like a year and a half till, I'd say maybe like one to three, um, I went out with her mother, and that's the closest. I mean, I, I really was like a father figure a substantial part of the time for so what was that like two I mean, years so, and I, to be honest i wasn't very good at it and then i kept sort of excusing myself well there's different um, aspects of being that way that you must have been good at some of those aspects i mean like i let myself off the hook by saying yeah i was good at certain aspects i think i mean like you play i mean her. i'm sure she would have some mean words no because i mean the concept of play is not something you have to pretend right i mean you no, i enjoyed there. that and i had fun with her i mean i think that i let myself off the hook by saying to myself, you know, when things really bothered me and things became difficulty, I'm guilty of saying to myself, you know, maybe it's because it's not your actual child. Right. Maybe you're not good at it because it's not your actual child. But then other parts of me would be like, no, that's no excuse. Like, maybe you're just, maybe people have told, told you that you'd always be a good father. And maybe you just aren't cut out to be a father. So this sort of like, you know, this lack of confidence I had in the idea of fatherhood really sort of peaked during that era. And from really the start of this millennium forward, it's just been a very low priority. So I would say like yeah. 90s me or even like 80s me, it would have been more like something that I would consider like sort of 50-50, like if I'm in the right situation, it sort of made sense. I've also never really been in a relationship with somebody that firmly and clearly wanted to have children. Right. In fact, I've been in a lot of relationships, a lot of long-term relationships that then ended and then the guy that came after me became the husband and the father of multiple children. So I've been almost like a teaser stallion in that regard. <laughs> um, so who knows? I mean, I don't really even know. It's just one of those things that like, it is sort of interesting to get to be this age because it does really affect your social life. Yeah, there's no right or wrong. Everyone's got their own thing. I don't think everyone should be. I've just become it. like, I remember like I used to go to these Christmas parties and there'd be like, these old guys and old ladies sitting there that like had no attachment to anybody. They were just like somebody's old uncle or whatever. And it was just some weird old bachelor or bachelorette person. And I've become that, I've become that weird old, die now that has no kids you know that like um, yeah <laughs> it's but like, you know my sister will be like ah i could be better invite uncle bob and <laughs> you know he'll take his dentures out and eat his turkey yeah i doubt that they're doing it with that tone of voice but you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, know would, who knows? I mean i, I was in a situation like yours where i i was with a woman and she had a kid the kid a little bit older maybe i think like six right. i think That's six worse i think and she actually asked that she could call me dad i mean just you know it was like uh, see yeah this kid wasn't but there was it was not an, in, an indication of how i am as dad that was a separate thing that was not an overlap i found this kid clementine she just seemed like quite an angry rebellious child and i think she is actually because she's become a very sort of significant rebellious 
artist um i just think it's part of her makeup i know that double album that they did with psychic temple is really cool i don't know if you've heard that no i saw i saw her play live in des moines one time and and um i thought the band was great i thought she did a wonderful show but i haven't really heard that much from her since i bought it like the early seven inches of stuff i think it's one of those things just like millions and millions of bands that's probably very extraordinary live and you know perhaps a hard thing to capture on vinyl although everything that i would have seven inch in an album here in the house i like they're a pretty great band we definitely played them on the podcast that i was on what was the last episode you recorded of the show i think like 176 no i mean how long ago was it oh it's been a while because i told mike i think i came back and did one last summer but like i kind of reiterated to him that i don't want to do it while i'm sort of actively touring because i don't really feel comfortable opining about other musical acts um, right. while i'm active just because i don't I, I think it's sort of an important part of the show is being able to say if you don't like something like if he plays something that he's really excited about and i don't like it then i don't really feel obligated to say i like it i mean i'm not going to maybe like tear it apart because i don't really do that usually if i don't like something i just sort of like just don't like it and nobody's correct when it comes to musical taste i mean like the most important thing is is if you listen to music i mean some people have vastly different musical tastes get along very well and i you know that was one of those immature people that didn't think that was the case when i was a teenager really up until my early 20s so i just told him i couldn't do it for a while and then I, you know also the other key thing is that you know once you've played over 500 bands it's hard to really are you going back to it i don't know you should come on this show man because if i showed you the numbers you'd be like holy fucking shit i mean the oh i'm cool with anything i mean yeah whatever i mean it's just one i know those... you don't care about that stuff I no mean... i don't care i mean I, I i would like it if you succeeded just because i think that you're very determined and you really are going for it. And, um, you know, I think that you put a lot of time and effort into it. an amazing thing, you know, sort of put down a very good job that you were good at and, and go. Did you ever it. listen to the episodes? I'm just curious. I've listened to a few. Yeah. Um, I don't listen to podcasts that often. Me neither. Like I said, like I don't listen to music as much as I should. I don't listen to podcasts or podcasts about music very much. Um, I think, you know, I always think that I'm going to get around to it and make it a priority. But like right now, I'm not really in any sort of position in life where there's any kind of background sound. You know, and generally speaking, the best time and place for me to listen to things is while driving on long road trips. It's just been a very erratic lifestyle for me during the existence of the months that your podcast has existed. I know. So I mean, like you know, once once I get in sort of a more stable situation, I wouldn't you know rule it out. I just am so set in my ways. You know, like for example, the last month I've just been watching on the edge of my seat the demise of the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, from a team that started off twenty and eight. You could be playing tomorrow for the Pirates. You'd have just as good a chance as at least five to 10 guys on the team of getting a hit. I tell you, my interest range is so attenuated. The, the sports, I just, uh, it's like almost a narcoleptic for me to even engage in a conversation. It's just amazing. I mean, it's just, it's such a great team to root for because um, we just never win. Yeah, it's like a Mets fan, right? Isn't that the curse of the Mets fan? No, Mets fans are <clears throat> completely spoiled. They are they really? That's not what I understand. Of it. They're just whiny. <laughs> I mean, my God. They're like an all-star team or something out there. We'd kill for some of them. Uh, don't, don't talk about sports. You hate sports. No, I fucking hate them. I feel like I'm bleeding out, but with interest. Uh, oh, God. It's 
Well, check your chair. <laughs> so, I mean, I, so anyways, what was the conclusion of all that? So you basically, how much time did you spend in the hospital? Uh, so I was there for about four days. Oh, Lord. Well, that's t- a long time. They had me on Dilaudid the entire time. And that week, I'm proud to say, you know, ever Man. since you and I spoke, I started Patreon. So instead of one show a week, I'm doing three shows a week. Yes. And the only difference that week, I posted four shows. Oh, wow. You're unstoppable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fierce, man. also that week, and it almost feels like this was a Dilaudid fever dream, but this really I've never happened. taken Dilaudid. I've never taken it. It's better than heroin, basically. Is it's I've pure... never taken any of those really powerful drugs. Well, I needed it uh, in order well, to... No, yeah, you were young. I mean, I would hope so. In addition to all of the stuff with the bleeding out, I didn't have a bowel movement for eight days. Right. Same on the toilet paper budget. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was... It was traumatic. And, you know, for a while, I was, you know, 10, 15 times a day, I was just breaking down crying out of nowhere. Poor man. And I woke up, and I swear to Christ, the association had asked me to be their manager. And then just as soon as that happened, uh, it then... What did you say to that? I said, let's, uh, you know, let's give it... Well, it's, you know, self-generated opportunities. Hey, let's have dinner. Let's have dinner here in Livingston. Come on, guys. (laughs) Right. No, I went to see them. Out in, uh, out in Long Island. And I told them, you know, and I've not mentioned anything about this on the show because I like to wait. Are they going things. places? No. So theirs is sort of a super ultra slim down version of what you guys have, which is, you know, you're using the mouthpiece of your legacy to talk to the generational folk who came up around you guys. Well, theirs is decades past decades Mm. removed and they stayed together unlike you guys but they never did anything that had any artistic integrity to it after 1972 so instead they've been playing the ever disappearing old age circuit and so i told them i'm not interested in that what i'd be interested in is if you guys after 51 years decided to make a fucking rock opera and it was super fucking ambitious and you started going after a different crowd then i'm on board and that's what we were discussing but then it all disappeared like it was a delauded fever dream right Interesting. that's that's crazy it was weird it was like i dreamt it because i was having multiple calls a day with jim yester and jules alexander from the band it was going to happen then i got off the medication uh, because i didn't feel like dying and when i did it was like that that was it it was almost like i I really dreamt it all so a bunch Uh, of people feeling better since the um four days of hell yeah back back to your normal self no i psychologically i am totally totally fucked up Uh, i absolutely need a psychiatrist they have them there yeah i need to talk with somebody because i'm everything feels couched in mortality oh man dude you need yeah you need to get that addressed yeah yeah have you ever gone through that no Hey guys, before we go on, I just got to tell you about this amazing podcast I came across. I feel like I may be the last one to the show on this, but these guys are absolutely amazing. First, greatest show title ever. It's called the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I mean, genius, right? But these guys absolutely live up to it. It's Jason Colvin and James D. Graves, and they usually pit two iconic movies or albums against each other to pick which is best, like Jaws versus Jurassic Park or Appetite for Destruction versus Back in Black. But they're so well-researched that they never fail to blow my mind and so funny that they never fail to make me laugh. It's the best of all worlds. 
Plus, they've started a series of top five lists this season that totally take me back to the misspent days of my youth. I can't recommend them enough. The Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Check it out. So listen, I have a Gen X mailbag. I have a few people who have asked questions. Oh, Uh, wow. How weird. Okay. Yeah. So Patrick Fleming goes first because he's the fucking man. I know. Uh, So what are Bob's triple crown selections from the Pavement catalog? His top three favorite songs and why? I mean, that does change very often. Of course, we have been quite busy this year. There's some underrated Pavement songs that I adore. Um, One of them is Transport is Arranged. When we used to play that live, it used to be real. We still play it. And it's still fun. I just think it's a, I think it's a great payment song in every way, shape, and form. And I really love the lyrics. I think it's great sounding. It was a very happy period for the band. And then sort of like songs that people are more familiar with based on playing so many live shows over the, over the last several months is that I'm, I'm a huge fan and lover of Grounded which can be just oh, yeah. a really, really beautiful song. It is, you know, obviously necessary probably to have two drum kits going on that, but I think it adds, because you normally wouldn't have that on, on a song that's so, like, not tribal in terms of the percussion. But the guitar, that can just sound really beautiful live, and then sort of, with, and it has a kind of a dramatic feel, which is sort of, like, necessary in, in a live set that would include songs like Cut Your Hair and Stereo, and, you know, that are just kind of almost, like, frivolous and fun pop songs. And I would say in the same category is Stop Breathing. I just feel like those are songs that we still play. We played Fillmore Jive this year and it worked a few times. We played um, Half a Canyon a few times. I thought it actually went really well. But we didn't really play them enough. But there's a certain group of about 10 to 15, maybe 20 pavement songs that actually have drama and have like a certain amount of power to them, at least when you're playing them. And I would like to hope that when you're seeing them live or listening to them and that both grounded and stop breathing are amazing that way so it's a certain challenge and so when they're executed well they can sound really great and really pretty and that's really sort of down to the you know composer and the guitar player i know that steven in particular likes stop breathing and that his um he's very pleased with the fact that his guitar part and tuning has been celebrated by a number of those like sort of podcast people that do those insane <laughs> things they do those things on like tunings and oh yeah 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 one one guy i guess who's really famous who's like really really good featured stop breathing on a whole episode and like steven just seemed like he was a kid you know had gotten like an atari 2600 <laughs> and, and the first, best like, of the ataris man yeah when he's nine years old you know what i mean like yeah um, so yeah those three come to mind there's not too many that i hate That's, th- those are three great choices man i especially am a fan of stop breathing that is a masterpiece yeah no that can be really pretty we usually use it to end a concert or an encore i just think if we get it right it can be really good Oh, I've seen you guys get it right a few times. Okay, the next question is actually from the admin of the amazing group Archers of Loaf to Zampano 90s Alternative Rock. Which oh, I, is, I know that one. Yeah, it's a great group, and it's the most engaged group of any of those. You know, you post something, one person likes it. I mean, I've seen people go nuts in there. Anyway, Daniel, whose group it is, asks, any chance we can get a deluxe edition of Westing by Musket and Sextant? Maybe with a set of the early singles and EPs, pretty please. <laughs> First of all, I'm no fan of any of those reissue things. I think we, we certainly talked about that. It makes sense the payment thing, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to make that weird laughing noise twice. I like I just, that weird laughing noise. I can't believe that um, any of them were reissued, but, you know, I guess 
we live in the reissue era. I appreciate his extreme enthusiasm for pavement. I mean, you are, you guys are really loved in there. Really, it's just so amazing. I mean, I don't really see. I just think that they must not know us as well as they should. But uh, no, man, look, you know, for me, it was like the first bite of the apple was in '92 when I first heard you guys, and like I said, that time was touched with magic in my life. Not because I discovered you guys, but it all dovetailed, and here I am again. And it's still a rudder in my life. And I cannot. It's amazing. Wait. I mean, it, it's really all credit to, you know. Um, no, no, it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's, no, it's really not. I mean, it's a good band. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great band. He's and yeah. he's awesome, man. But it's a yeah, collective. It's a, a good, collective thing. Yeah, and I'm really like, obviously, we'd be useless if it wasn't for the people that were really passionate about it. So, I mean, you know, you and Daniel and Patrick and you know, so many of you, men and women, and you know, everyone that's basically been a fan of the band. It's just it's sometimes it's, it's a little. It's fantastic, but you know, it's just saying you're not really, I'm not really aware of it unless I'm in it. So, yeah, I think, uh, and I don't really recommend it. I think maybe it would be better to be like, you know, maybe somebody like Mark or Steven, like places they go, people know, oh, look, it's, it's that one guy, oh, the guy from, like, I've never, it's interesting living in places like Des Moines or Paris now or, you know, wherever I've lived pretty much, where like, I'm not like the guy from Pavement. <laughs> Which is interesting to me because you, you seem, I'd you rather know, carry I, that kind of weight. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're not recognizable you're tremendously recognizable you are <laughs> yeah. i mean in, in certain circles it's like you know anyone who's who knows a lot about horror movies i'm famous in those circles and i can walk down the street and obviously i don't need to wear a, a low-hung cap right i'm also i guess readily approachable but i guess on that note i've got like about two minutes okay two minutes then i have a couple questions from willow Colios. yes you know him uh-huh Okay. Which songs did you... Not personally, I've gotten mail from him and had good exchanges with him over the years. All right. So which songs did you hear for the first time, either in practice or recorded versions, and say or think, whoa, that's the best thing we've done or that you've written so far? Which songs leap out as things you've heard like that? I mean, basically the entirety of Slanted Enchanted. I remember thinking like pavement. I remember... You know, as those tapes were circulating and I got my cassette and started, you know, going tape to tape and ma making cassettes and sort of strategically sending them around to fanzines and record labels. I think that that album, you know, even with its flawed songs and, you know, the production sounding very, you know, like a Garage 15 track in 1991, I was enthralled by that. And I realized that this pavement thing is going to be more than just this, you know, this fanzine culture thing where you play right. for small crowds. I, and I remember listening to it with my friends that were in a you know, really interesting band called Francis Gum that I'd gone to school with, you know, Eric Forrest, and we used to tour with them. And I just remember listening to that tape over and over again and being like, this is kind of going to change everything, not only for pavement, but it's actually going to make its mark. You know, it's definitely going to make its mark. So it was pretty exciting. Six, nine 12 months between hearing that cassette for the first time and, and just, I mean, it was almost like the same, I had the same impression of, you know, the first time I would have heard a record like Spiderland by Slint, which is, you know, sort of an entirely different thing, but it kind of has the same impact. Like this is just going to, yeah. it's just going to change things. You got to listen to that episode. That's, you know, I mean, that's one of the best subjects. There's two Slint episodes. One is everything except for Spiderland. And then the second one is Spiderland and the Four Carnations fight songs, which is as good as spider -Man, yeah well that's um, saying a lot but and I, I see where are coming from there but yeah no, it's some um, interesting that you got it all through pato's opinion because i would think he writes everything from zero to five everything yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brett, he's so amazing. He must have told you a lot of stories about Brett. Oh, yeah. And Brett's one of my favorite people. I mean, that guy's <laughs> never, that guy's a long to himself. But uh, anyways, on that note, I'll look forward to talking to you again soon, David. Hey, I, as always, appreciate your time. I'm sorry that you've been through such a tough time as well, physically. And let's hope that um, it's behind us. Maybe either some of the psychological scars from that health event you'll be able to work on and get addressed. But yeah, um, keep charging forward in your determined way. If there's one thing I know that you're, you know, you're going to do everything you can to enjoy your podcast and get a lot out of it. So, you know, absolutely on it and enjoy it. Keep in touch. I'll try to make myself available when I can. That sounds great, man. Whatever I can do, if there's anything I can, or if you just want an ear, because I know you're also going through a rough time. If you need an ear as a friend, I'm here, man. Okay. I appreciate that, David. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely put you on the list. Thanks very much. <laughs> Yeah. What a cock. Yeah. <laughs> love you, man. <laughs> I love you too, dude. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, that about does it. A heartfelt discography thanks goes out to my beautiful wife and son, Jen and Mason, Bob Nastanovich, also obviously Steve Malkmus and the rest of Pavement, Matador Records, my incredibly loyal fans, and especially the entire Patreon community, the soldiers of sound. I love every last one of you, and this show would not exist without you, my friends. Speaking of friends, it's high time for some new ones. They're in our Facebook group, Discography Soldiers of Sound. That's the best way to find out what's coming up on the show, but there's a hell of a lot more. You get recaps of the day in music history, the ability to pitch questions to guests, polls that put you in the driver's seat on guest and band decisions, access to a thriving creative hub if you're looking for a collaborator. In fact, I know firsthand about some very exciting projects coming together because of fellow soldiers who collided in our incredible group. Honestly, it is objectively the only worthwhile thing that's come from Zuckerberg's college efforts. So make sure you don't miss out. You can find the link to the Discography Soldiers of Sound Facebook page right there in the show notes. And if you don't mess with the Zuck, no sweat. Just email me at info at discography.com and I'll keep you in the loop. So now that it's done and you want more, another way to dive even deeper into Discography's pantheon of irrefutably mind-blowing pavement and Gen X-centric episodes is to start with the mother load. Episode 49, the all-time most popular Discography episode, which kicks off a pavement-only streak that takes us all the way to episode 58, and then we barrel head-on into Lou Barlow, and then Jim Florentine doing Black Sabbath. You get the idea. But wait just a minute. This is just the entrance to the rabbit hole. Join us as we descend down, down, down on Discography's week-long thin line between love and hate deep dive. Of course, if you're a Patreon subscriber, then you already know to keep your ears peeled throughout the week. Because this Monday brings a heapin' helpin' of the wildcard episode digressions I aggressively court and then serve up piping hot for our Patreons. And this week, we're exhuming our slag-off show, Queasy listening for Keith Jarrett's early attempt at hippie music, Restoration Ruin. And then there's this Wednesday's incredible Patreon-only episode of Discography's The Top Ten. This week's list features the indomitable Rick Kronberg and focuses on our top ten guilty pleasures, which as we all know, there's really no such thing, but for just one beautiful moment, let's pretend there is. 
Make sure you visit patreon.com slash discography and check out the thematically related deep dive as a music obsessive's way of life. Our Patreon's been up and running for a year now, and with two episodes a week reliably posted literally nonstop, there are 100 Patreon episodes at this point. That's an entire universe of incredible quote-unquote content available to you for the price of a cup of coffee a week. And of course, be sure to mark your calendars, because next Friday, October 27th, we're coming at you with Deer Tick's Dennis Ryan, rating the entirety of Bombino's catalog. And this entire episode was recorded during a real, honest-to-goodness, natural disaster by our home in Vermont, which we experienced in July, simply because there's no such thing as a normal episode of this show. And so it became an audio verite document of musical obsession gone awry, as the world around us washed away in a horrifying flood, while we quite ironically talked about a classic act born from the dried-out riverbeds of Niger. That's right, God does have a sense of humor, and trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. And so, from now till then, don't let our youth go to waste, lads and ladies. It's Discography. Discography.